Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast, a weekly radio show where we investigate the tools, techniques, and knowledge that make great drinks. I'm your host, Eric Koslick, and today I'm coming to you with a special interview with my friend Stephanie Echeveste, who is the founder of an excellent DC company called Cocktails and Craft. This episode was recorded a few months ago when I was still kind of learning my audio equipment here, so I set it aside, and it was given a little TLC recently from DC Sound Mixer Chris Preston, who deserves a huge shout-out for his help and technical expertise in the audio realm, and actually... Throughout this entire interview, Stephanie and I were talking into microphones that literally were not working, and all of this audio has been rescued from a tiny little digital backup recorder. So even though it's not an audio masterpiece at this rate, it's still pretty impressive uh, what we were able to rescue. So uh, in this episode, Stephanie and I cover a wide range of topics, including the origin story of cocktails and craft, apartment-friendly cocktail storage techniques for glassware and spirits, tasting notes for new mezcals and jalapeno moonshine, the common thread that runs through cocktails, crafts, and curated spaces, and much, much more. Please do hit up the show notes and follow Cocktails and Craft on social media, especially if you live in the D.C. area. They're always running super cool events with different crafts and cocktail pairings that are always strategically coupled for maximum enjoyment. And I guarantee you'll have a great time at any of those events you choose to attend. But for now, I will step aside and let you enjoy my interview with Stephanie Echeveste. Stephanie, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So before we jump in here, do you mind just telling our listeners who you are, what you do, and uh, basically why you do it? Sure. So I'm Stephanie. I live in Washington, D.C., and I run a hands-on workshop called Cocktails and Craft, where we teach you how to make an inspired craft and pair it with a cocktail. I do it because I want to inspire more creativity in the district and help everyone have an accessible way to learn how to make something and learn more about cocktail making so they can do it themselves at home. Gotcha. And what kind of people do you usually work with? Are these, are, are they professionals? Are they amateurs? What kind of people do you come to your events basically? So we have mostly amateurs that come to our events. It's always really surprising how many people will usually ask, have you ever made a cocktail before? And they say, no. <laughs> and it's just really shocking to me because um, so many people are into cocktails, but very few people actually know how to make one. And there are so many that are so simple. And then we we partner with different artists and creative entrepreneurs. Like we've partnered with you before to bring in experts in their field to teach different crafts or give a little bit more in-depth into the cocktail making. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can definitely vouch. I, I really had a great time at, at the event that we did together, which was a bitters making class. Uh, it was at a coffee shop in DC where we knew the owner and they were willing to kind of rent us out their back patio for an afternoon. We had a really good time with a bunch of folks who just wanted to come in and learn about bitters. And my favorite feedback that I've actually gotten since I've done some bitters classes since my favorite feedback was I was expecting this to be fine. 
but it was like way better than I was <laughs> expecting. So I, I like that. That's great feedback. I really like that. So can you give us, before we jump into more questions here, can you just give us some ideas of like, so there's a cocktail and there's a craft involved always, right? Yes. So what are some examples of the, the things that you've done in the past? Generally at the beginning of the year, we do some research into things that have been inspiring us and what we would like to either learn how to make or practice with other people and, and teach them how to make. And so we've done everything from shibori dyeing to dream catchers. Manhattans, French 75s, um, and we always pair the cocktail with the craft. So there's a specific theme going on and they're usually seasonal and then featuring local, um, locally made liquors and other types of cocktail accessories so that we can get as many makers in the mix as possible. But um, we, we try to do a different cocktail and craft pairing every month. Now we're kind of getting our classic series down so we know the things that people really love so for example paper flowers is really popular so i've been kind of switching out what we which which cocktail we pair it with depending on the season so we're coming up with a new um we're doing a workshop in august where we're doing kentucky mules and paper flowers and focusing more on summer flowers and we picked kentucky mural mule because it's our favorite like refreshing summertime drink uh whereas uh next week we're doing um watercolor and Bloody Marys. And honestly, I just wanted to make a Bloody Mary in the <laughs> evening. Uh, I was thinking about how, why I put those together and it was really just that. So for that workshop, we're bringing in a, a local watercolor artist, Samantha Testa. So it, it really depends on the month and what we're, we're curating around. We're going to start doing custom events and um, basically corporate events as well. So that if you want to have a specific theme going on, we can curate it around that theme. Very nice. Yeah, it's it's been kind of cool to uh, to watch you grow a little bit. I mean, certainly you you had it down when we we partnered, but it's yeah, you know, I've seen you do. Didn't you do a tie dye thing recently? Mm -hmm. That shibori dyeing in in the back of Colony Club also. Yeah, that was really great. So, um, are there? So I, I know I know that you just kind of gave people a good overview of what cocktails and craft is as kind of like an event or as a company, mm -hmm. as an institution, we'll say, even that's a little sterile. Um, <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> um, I'm sure they're all memorable, especially for the people who end up attending these events. I know that was the case for our event. Um, for you, have there been any particularly memorable cocktails and craft events or interactions you've had at those events? I just had that question at our at our last event at the Smithsonian Folklife Festival. And of course, my answer was this event. Um, but I'm I'm really, truly so inspired by everyone that comes because they come at all different levels. Usually uh, they're people that haven't made a craft or a cocktail ever before. And then sometimes more advanced, whether they're, they've done a lot of crafts or different types of art projects that still make something entirely different or use materials in a way that we never really thought of. Um, but as far as my most memorable one, uh, maybe our first one that we did outside of the house because we started in this living room, actually, my sister and my sister used to live here with me. And, um, I basically got really bored going out on U street and drinking, um, it kind of what you were talking about in, in one of the last episodes, I, I really use alcohol as a way to bring people together as opposed to kind of just be off in a different, uh, I guess to tear people apart. I don't know. So I, I love drinking and going out and going dancing and things like that. But if it's just kind of like sitting at a bar downing PBRs, like there's a certain point where I'm, I get really bored. Sure. That's, so, that's an escape. That's not a connection. 
Exactly. And so, um, when, when we started doing them, they were just in our living room with friends. And our first one outside of our living room was at Nomad Yard, which is a space that no longer exists, but Desiree ran a really amazing vintage um, clothing store, but also really kind of an incubator for small businesses to test their new brands, um, accessories and clothing. Uh, and she would curate from vintage pieces throughout the store. And so we did a collaboration with a bunch of different local um, makers and artists. So there was someone who did floral, crowns. There was someone who did a photography booth uh, and we came in and Green Hat Gin, I, if I remember correctly, they donated some gin and we did a cocktail. I, I think I made up that recipe. I can't even remember what it was called, but it was a gin-based I think I remember seeing that cocktail. on social media. Yeah. yeah. And then we did dream catchers and we had two rounds workshop after workshop and it was just, it was free. So it was no wonder people loved it, but um, just there was such a diversity of people that came out for that. So we had, it was intergenerational, there were couples, there were single people um, and all different colors. And so that was probably our most memorable because it was when we realized like, oh, people really like doing this. And maybe if we did this more regularly and did it in different spaces outside of our house, maybe people would actually pay us to come. And that that's what we've, that's what's happened, so. For sure, yeah. Um, well, so it sounds like Cocktails and Crafts has really taken off. I personally having participated in it really like what it's what's going on i mean it's it's a pretty appealing thing right you 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 chill out with a bunch of people you make some new friends and you have a drink uh mm -hmm. which is uh, that that's just amazing uh it's interesting that that you the way that you talk about it makes it sound so organic where it's like well of course this is a brilliant business idea <laughs> but i think the point is that the business is like incidental. It's like the, it's a mission driven thing rather than a money driven thing. Right. Right. And, and I mean, it's a, it, it definitely was a hobby. It's only recently become a more of a serious business. And I think the approach really keeping our approach organic, our, our initial goal was to build community, inspire creativity and um, create more cultural understanding. And that that's still our mission me and my sister, my sister helps me run it. We're Mexican American, so we're third, fourth generation from Mexico. And for us, it's really important as well to see people of color doing creative businesses and featuring other creative entrepreneurs who like, regardless of your background, it's just a struggle. And so we really wanna help support that both in DC and other, other places to really show the talents of the other people doing really amazing work there. Definitely. Uh, so one of the questions that I had for you is, any, so anyone can make a drink within reason and pretty much anybody can make a craft within reason. Some of us are more talented at making drinks and making crafts than others. Uh, particularly, I'm better at making drinks than I am at making crafts. That's, that's, that's a, a definite. But uh, what is the value for you that you see? And then maybe what's the value that you get communicated back to you from the people who come to these events of putting cocktails and craft in the same equation and kind of mixing them up. So I agree with you. I think everyone can make a craft and a cocktail. What I've noticed is that people don't think they can. So they'll say things like, I'm not creative, or I could never do that. And we hear a lot of that even when we're setting up, you know, when we're sitting people down or during introductions, they'll say, I'm not creative, or I'm not an artist, or I, I can't do this. And sometimes when we're even starting our crafts uh, portion, they kind of freak out and say like, I, I don't know how to do this. I can't do it. Um, so I think the benefit of what we provide is an environment 
that brings people together. So you're kind of in it together with other people. And because you're paying to be there, you show up. It's very rare for people to pay and not show up. And usually we've noticed that people might get dragged by a friend. So maybe one friend's into crafts or one friend is into cocktails and they'll bring the other friend. So it kind of allows a diversity of interest. And then you learn something about the thing that maybe you weren't as into. Um, and then we hear a lot of, I have all these craft materials, but I never use it. Or I have all this cocktail stuff, but I don't know how to use it or I never do it. And I think in DC, um, because of the cost of living and just the way of the world now with, with our work schedules, people are so strapped for time. So even if you have all the materials, it's very rare for people to be dedicated and actually do the work. And so we are here to help you do the work. And our goal is that you go home and continue doing the work, whatever it is that, that you're passionate about, um, even if it's outside of this, and and also try to approach your, your day job a little bit more creatively, even if you're not into crafts or cocktails, to think, oh, I, I figured that out, so I figure this out too. Um, but it is it is a funny thing, and I think, you know, the people that do regularly practice crafts, they're not going to come to our workshop and that's fine. And those are the people that will hire to teach a workshop. So that's, that's kind of the beauty of it is kind of that cyclical, um, kind of a feedback. Loop. Yeah. 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 Or people that'll say like, oh, I'm just, you know, I've been doing jewelry making on the side, but I don't know how to make it a business or, or whatnot. So the other added, be added benefit is usually, um, you'll meet, well, always people meet other people that inspire them in different, in different realms. So you'll meet like a lawyer that, does jewelry making on the side, or, or you'll meet um, a graphic designer that makes her own bitters. And so there's just a lot of really interesting things that I think people in DC in particular, but, but all over, they have these other passions and things they do outside of work. And they don't really talk about it at work, maybe, or they don't maybe talk about it with their friends because they're just like getting shit based on U Street. So this allows for an opportunity sure. for people to actually share things that they're passionate about outside of, it's not networking, but you naturally kind of learn things about each other and then make connections um, that you otherwise wouldn't. It does. It helps so much. I, I love what you said about, um, you know, kind of people keeping their uh, little side projects kind of in the closet. Uh, I remember when I was still working at my desk job, it, it almost felt like taboo or forced to bring up the fact that I was like, hey, I, I make bitters on the side. Hey. I'm going out to a distillery this weekend. I'm doing a tasting. You people all seem like you'd probably enjoy that, but it's something about that work, that professional space that just doesn't lend itself to that. So um, I really, I like that you have found a, a way to, to actually create that space. And not only do you create the space, it's like you have a, it's like wherever you go with cocktails and craft, you set up this portal. It's like portable. You take it and wherever you show up, this space kind of materializes because you bring cocktails, you bring crafts, and you force people to show up. Right. And those are the three ingredients you need to create a space for people to connect. And I think that's pretty neat. Um, Thank you. So I know that you have also been kind of working on your own bar cart a little bit. Yes. So and yeah, so I want to... Over there. It's, it's really <laughs> nice. Uh, personally, I don't have... A, a bar cart. I actually, I don't think I've really talked about my home bar setup yet. So I'll tell, oh, I'll tell folks just so that they have, have an idea of what I'm working with. I went to Ikea and I got those big, they're essentially rectangles. You know, the rectangles at Ikea. You mean the, are they squares? Well, okay. they're, yeah, they're like this thing behind us, except they're, they're like the particle board. Okay. And you can either stand them up and it's a rectangle full of squares. So it's like, you can stand okay. up, it's like a two by three, mm -hmm. or you can lay it down horizontally. 
So I've got a stand up one and I've got a lay down one. And I kind of staggered the, you can, you can put doors on them or you mm -hmm. can leave them open. So I did like a little, um, like a little zigzag pattern with mm -hmm. the doors mm -hmm. and then it kind of follows through cause it's, it's set up like an L. So it, it looks decent, uh, but it's just enough where I can hide all my liquor. <laughs> I have so much of it just incidentally. And I never, my problem is that I never finish anything. Mm -hmm. So like I have a bunch of like mostly empty liquor bottles that I've had for three years that I'm like too attached to, uh, to, to finish off. So they're <laughs> like all a good book. You don't want to finish. So that's what I'm working with, but it's big and it's in the way and you can't go to it, right? You can't bring it with you. It's like there in your room, but you have this nice bar cart, uh, and we'll definitely, we'll post some, uh, you know, a picture or two in the show notes, but can you basically describe what this thing looks like, where you got it, why you wanted to get it. Sure. So um, I've been slowly working on my apartment decor. Um, it's unfortunately kind of a mess today now that you're here, but um, basically creating a craft corner and the obviously the bar, the bar cart was going to be a key component of that. So we kind of have the craft corner on one side of the room and then the bar cart on the other side of the room with the idea that we can move that around to the kitchen area or the craft area. And, um, my, my mom actually made my bar cart. We, she came in for a weekend to visit, but it was also a weekend that I had planned to reorganize my house. And like my sister was moving out and someone was moving in. So, and then I got sick. So it was just kind of a terrible time for a family member to visit. And I felt really bad, but she went with me to target and we picked out a bar cart and then she made it for me. And I'm very thankful for that. Nice. Um, before I had all my liquor bottles, like stuck on this uh kind of like a chef's prep thing which was fine visually but um every time i take something down everything else would kind of shake around so functionally it just wasn't working for me the nice thing about that was that i had a a surface underneath so i could actually do it was easier to make cocktails right there and when i was looking for a car i really 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 wanted something that had enclosed area and open area because i have a lot of glassware and um not as much as I would like, but slowly accumulating over time. And I used to collect like vintage glassware, um, but I'd always lived in a place with lots of flatmates and so they'd always break. So I kind of stopped that when I moved to DC, but I was hoping to get to the point of starting collecting again, but this bar cart, so it's really small and doesn't allow me to have glassware, but that would be like the next, the next version will be something like that. Um, and then I'd love to, to test out and feature um, local, liquor so we have a good collection of like um local like uh republic restoratives uh see cotton green and reed yeah. um creek uh beautiful so that's that's the bulk of kind of some of the liquor options and then um obviously some other some other things like a campari and we have some vermouth in the fridge and then a wide selection of bitters that we've made and that have been supplied by Modern Bar Cart. Um, it's good to know a guy. From the beginning, from, gosh, that was like a year ago when we did the Bitters Making Workshop. It was. And then I just got some Mezcal, which I wanted to taste yes, with you taste. at some point. And uh, I just got back from Oaxaca, Mexico, and I fell in love with the city and also um, the Mezcal because it's it's everywhere. And I have this one particular bottle that I love that a local art um organization did the screen print on the bottle so it's just a beautiful that's one of the bottles i'll never get rid of um i haven't even opened it because i like don't want to start drinking it <laughs> one, one yeah once you it's like um it's not like christmas day what's what's it like it's yeah 
but I, I can relate to that idea of like not wanting to like once you crack it open or, mm -hmm. or you know what it's like it's like those things that devalue as soon as as soon as they're out right, of the box like a car right as soon as you start using it because then you have to like use it up but um right. i'll open it at some point and then i got this uh this uh salt from why am i blanking on the name it's like Fusamol salt it's like salt made with worms basically from mexico from oaxaca it's like the worm that comes out of the mezcal bottle they grind it up and then it's oh, with okay. salt and it's amazing and it's what you you know put on your it's kind of like after a tequila shot you have salt it's the salt you have after mezcal um gotcha. and so that is there and that's another thing that i don't want to open because i just don't want to use it all but i need to actually use my things so. you got i feel like it's easier whenever i find myself in that situation i usually find an occasion like I'll, right. I'll put like i'll put it on a shelf in my mind and then when the occasion comes along i'll usually it usually feels right so if it doesn't feel right, right you probably not you probably haven't found the right occasion yet right but uh wh well, why don't we taste the mezcal now and then as we taste a little bit we can continue chatting here but uh as we maybe describe what you've got here for us if that's if you can yeah, um, so I have two different mezcals to try. It's from this little shop um, next to one of the uh, markets in Oaxaca, uh, just south of Zocolo. And it's actually a place that my conversation partner took me, and it's called La Reliquia. My bad Spanish is coming out now, but um, it's uh, both uh, aged and non-aged. So this one has the worm in it. You can see the worm at the bottom. Oh yeah, there it is. Yeah. And then this one has just been aged. So right. uh, these are the two we're going to taste. And we're going to taste them in these um, jicaras. So they're basically uh, the shell of a fruit that grows on a tree is how I understand it. And then they carve into them. So they're uh, little vessels and that's how everybody drinks the mezcal. Um, and I promise and next time I'm there, I'm just going to be a fluent Spanish speaker and you won't even notice, but yeah, I think that's a really fun addition. So I also have these at my bar. Cheers. Cheers. Yes. And there's also like the sipping aspect. So you're supposed to, so you can taste how like smoky it is. Oh yeah. That's really lovely. It, the thing I love about Mezcal, so we're, we're drinking right now. There's, there's two Mezcal bottles on the table. One of them is a little bit, it's almost like a clearish yellow color of the liquid, I guess. Is that maybe how you would describe the color of mm -hmm. it? And then the other one is much darker. Uh, is that the color of the bottle or is that the no, liquid? No, it's the liquid. Yeah. Um, but the bottle is dark. So um, this one is the unaged, correct? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's... No, this is the unaged one. This is... That one's the aged one. Right. Do you want to just pour the unaged right there? Or do you well, want to... you have to finish it. Oh, okay, yes. Mm. So what I was going to say is... And I'll, I'll circle back to talk about the way that these spirits are uh, classified a little bit here in a second, just so folks know wh where we're coming from. The thing that I really love about unaged Mezcal is that it's still smoky. It's still really grassy. Um, so you get the best of both worlds. You get the, the smokiness that comes from the process, but then also that really beautiful kind of earthy, but not dark earth thing it's like a, it's it's like you're kind of drinking the the sunlight and the rain that creates uh you know whatever plant this is made out of and i believe that mezcal can be made out of different plants whereas tequila 
um, generally can only be made out of blue agave. I know that there are different mezcal plants that can be used depending on what district you are in. So, so try that one and see if. Yeah, that's yeah. that's darker. I yeah. think that's that's the reposado, right? I think I normally do them the opposite, um, and you can really taste after doing after tasting the reposado one. You can really taste like the worminess of the worm one. Yeah. Well, so the, this one says the the first one we tried was mezcal joven con gusano, and gusano yeah. is gusano the worm. Yeah, so it means yeah, young with worm <laughs> is literally. Yeah, so joven joven is young like joven. like ho oh sorry yeah sorry joven uh but spelled J O V N like juvenile you could think, and then the reposado basically means rested, and so it rested in a barrel, mm -hmm. and that's where some of the mellowness and the age comes from. And, Based on this, it doesn't look like it was a charred barrel. This might have just been in a regular French oak barrel with no char. Probably. I didn't go to this mezcaleria. I went to another one and I wanted to buy everything, but it was so the ones that I wanted were, you know, hundreds of dollars a bottle. And uh, so that is the problem. That's what happens when you fall in love with just like really distilled anything, basically. Yeah, and Mezcal right now is kind of experiencing a resurgence. So mm -hmm. they know they've got the spotlight on them and they're taking advantage of that, which mm -hmm. is good. Um, you know, it's, it's a good it's a good industry. Um, and I, I know a lot of people have also gone down there and have really great experiences. Mm -hmm. So um, great. So let's uh, turning back to this bar cart. So you've got this wonderful bar cart. I like how it's set up. One of the things that I was actually going to say is that, so you were mentioning that you were lacking a little bit of glassware space in there, which totally makes sense. You don't want to put your glassware next to your big bottles because that just sounds like a recipe for cracking and breaking. But one of the things that I do actually at my, at my place, my grandfather actually engineered this thing. It was like this old little dresser type thing that he built on top of, and he had these slats. And you'll see these in restaurants a lot where they actually hang their glassware. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you do, it looks like you have a little room there. So if, if you yeah, really need to save space, you could maybe engineer a, a way to hang your glassware, especially the stem stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't do the rocks glasses, mm -hmm. but that's a way to save some space for folks who are sitting there, maybe in an apartment setting and you're sitting, you're like, man, I just don't have room for more glassware. Maybe you do. If it's got a stem, you can probably hang it somewhere. So mm -hmm. just something to think about. And I do have, um, I don't even know what they're called, the mule. Oh, the, the mugs. The, 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 the mule mugs. mugs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. People call them the mule the mugs. Copper, the copper hammered mugs. I have those out there because I like the way they look. And um, they're sturdy. They're not going to, nothing's going to happen to them. Okay. So, uh, Do you know the story behind those? No. It's the most brilliant marketing ploy in history. Uh, it's certainly in cocktail, maybe not in history, history, but in cocktail history. So I, I believe it was the guy who founded Smirnoff or who brought Smirnoff to the United States or it was one of those vodkas. I believe it was Smirnoff. I think that's been around long enough. Uh, so it was this guy and they were having trouble selling vodka because vodka wasn't super popular. It was fairly, fairly soon after World War II. The Russians weren't massively popular in the U.S. as the Cold War got going. And so vodka was kind of a tough sell to people. So this guy, I believe they were in Hollywood or LA or somewhere, and this guy had a ton of vodka, and he ran into somebody who ran a bar who had a bunch of ginger beer that they needed to get rid of and they couldn't sell. And then there was some crazy lady, I think, who just had a bunch of these copper mugs with mules on them. 
that she couldn't sell. So they got together. Like they actually had mules they, on them? They, I think they actually had donkeys on them. That's so funny. I, th I think maybe it was just copper mugs. It might have just been copper mugs. Uh, maybe I, I'm I think embellishing. the addition of the mule is key, though. I might be embellishing, but basically they, uh, they got together and they're like, well, we can't all sell our stuff, so let's try this. And they, they created the Moscow mule, and for some reason it took the, the copper mug, made it trendy and cool and they sold a ton so that I, I love that story because the other thing about copper is that it reacts to acidity mm -hmm. and you put lime juice in a moscow mule so a copper mug is actually not the ideal vessel to be drinking it in but we have this entire history it's like decades and decades of people drinking it out of these cups oh. and so it makes it pretty cool actually that's such a good story I'm, I'm we're gonna share that at our next at our august cocktails and craft where we're doing kentucky mules because we prefer whiskey. Yeah, bourbon. <laughs> Kentucky mules are great. Perfect, perfect. And whiskey. I actually did Kentucky mules at this year's um, Kentucky Derby uh, because mint juleps can be a little bit labor intensive. Mm -hmm. So I want the Kentucky mule. But um, yeah, so you've got a you've got a great bar cart. I personally have a lot of friends who subscribe to the minimalist approach to mm -hmm. home bartending. Essentially, like one bottle of whiskey maybe some bitters and whatever glassware that's not broken, you know, maybe it's plastic. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems like you just based on your approach to life, your approach to your cocktails and craft, seems like you take a more curated approach. Um, and so I'm curious if you'd be able to talk a little bit about what value or joy you get out of putting together a really creative and tasteful home bar. Cause you really, you, your, your bar cart's great. My bar cart has grown over time here in that even having a place to put things. And so I used to be inadvertently more of a minimalist because I could only afford one bottle of liquor at a time. And I remember when it was like such a huge expense for me to get a bottle of vodka even, right? And um, and this was back when I was kind of first getting into cocktails. So I remember having parties where I would have my friends, each person would bring a different handle of liquor and I would provide all of the mixers because that's all I could afford. And then I would make up cocktails with everyone. And that, that was like my first foray into cocktail making. This was in San Francisco. Craft cocktails were pretty popular. And, you know, I had I had a place for hosting. I had a little bar in that apartment um, and a ton of flatmates. So I would just invite people over and, and do it that way. And then, you know, the benefits of hosting is they leave their liquor. So that's how I started accumulating things there. But um, otherwise, I really only had a couple of things. And so with, with cocktails and craft, we do a lot of R&D. So I'm always testing and I'm, I'm really new and green in the cocktail making world. I will test around a concept and then um, try to put new things into it or test out a new shrub or whatever. But because we've been doing so many different um, themes, I've been able to test a lot of stuff. And, you know, in testing, I have to usually buy the whole the bottle of shrubs or the whole bottle of liquor. So it's it's an expensive approach, but it, it pays off in that we eventually, you know, get a, get a workshop together and get some people together around it. And that's how I have a lot of different things. And then I'm, I also really, it's really important to me to support local. So like, for example, I met, you know, I was at um, Batch 13 on 14th Street and Chacho was doing a tasting. So I started talking to him and uh, I liked his stuff. And so we partnered on a drink for, for a workshop that was, I think, last winter. And so I have the rest of that bottle here. But, you know, we went, we went through a few bottles at the workshop. Is that, is that but, Pisco? Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, it's um, I think it's a little bit different, actually. But it's, it's a Pisco style yeah. spirit. Yeah. It's, it's spicy. So, 
just so folks know, Pisco is a Peruvian uh, spirit, I believe, kind of one of those clear spirits. Um, I'll be honest, I'm sort of at a loss. I mean, it could be based out, is it based out? Do you want to taste it? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's do it. Let me go grab it. Pisco, I'm not quite sure. Maybe Stephanie can correct me when I get back, but I, I believe it's derived from cane, uh, cane sugar. Yeah, it's um, it's it's cane sugar. But okay. what's different about Chacho is that it's um, infused with jalapeno. Gotcha. So we use this in a um, Mexican hot chocolate drink, actually, Whoa. where we had um, we made it a chocolate mix and then had Chacho and whipped cream and cinnamon and nutmeg and some other things. And so it was a really nice winter drink because it was still cold, but it um, it adds some fire to your soul because of the, the jalapeno kick. So Chacho was inspired by a, a llama that the founder, I guess, met when he was in Bogota, <laughs> Colombia. So anyway, point being that I love uh, meeting the makers behind the liquors or the bitters um, and featuring them whenever we can in our workshops. And Chacho actually, so technically I think he's bottling it somewhere else or you know distilling it and bottling it somewhere else but he he's based here as far as i know still i don't know maybe he's left the district but um gotcha let's taste some yeah let's do that and and it's great i mean one of the one of the things i want to double back on there is just meeting the idea of meeting the maker uh it's something that you can do in today's world and i think that's the nice thing about cocktails and craft is that you you become the maker uh because you're in a room with a bunch of other people you are kind of inspired by the making that's going on. But another way to do that, if you uh, don't have the opportunity to have a, a group like Cocktails and Craft, is to meet the makers, which is another great way to do it. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. You can smell that. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's it's so, so good. Cool. It's really, it's really, really good because it's just enough spice that, um, like, it'll it'll change anything you're working on if you're working on a recipe. So uh, the the thing I like what you were saying about you become the maker, like we're huge on that. There's a lot of science actually behind um, the aspects of actually physically making something. And I think that's so important in our world when we're you know, tied to our emails, tied to our phones, whether it's for work or social media or whatever. So what we really try to provide is a space where you can just like go off the grid and get like make things with your hands and talk to a person that you've never talked to before and just learn about different things, different ways that you can do things. Um, we also will be launching soon. We're working on our beta chapters this fall, but basically a chapters network. So if anybody is interested in being a chapter leader of Cocktails and Craft, you can go to our website and sign up. But basically we're going to be providing the tools to be able to learn how to create your own Cocktails and Craft chapter. And then we'll give out monthly content to help you run your own, run your own Cocktail and Craft party. And because um, we want as many people to have access to this kind of take it creativity as possible. Sounds like a pyramid scheme. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, so folks, we're going to, uh, we're going to link to cocktails and crafts, all the various iterations of uh, how you can get in touch with them in the show notes, which you can find at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast, searching for this episode with cocktails and craft, Stephanie Echeveste. Um, so uh, we've, tasted some really fun spirits here. We've um, talked about your bar cart. We talked about what you're up to in terms of cocktails and crafts. One more question that I want to get to is that um, in this podcast, we talk a lot about crafts, cocktails, and home bartending. So craft and home being two kind of concepts mm -hmm. that we focus on. Um, 
for you, is there a common thread or maybe some like shared values that connect a good cocktail, a good social experience and a good home space? Cause we're sitting here in your home space. It's, it's like 90 degrees outside in DC in the summer. <laughs> and, but it's still like, it's still like this really, I, I don't know. It's, it just feels very uh, welcoming and homey in here. So I, I wonder if you could talk about that. So I think the common thread is being able to entertain. And um, that's a little bit hard in urban settings because I, I always want to entertain lots of people. Um, whenever we have parties, my sister is always like, we can't fit this many people. Um, so uh, there's been an ongoing discussion about how many chairs I need to have because I don't have enough chairs. Um, but I think it's it's the community aspect. It's bringing people together and then also inspiring each other and really sharing whatever whatever makes you tick and being um, open and honest about your passions. I think, uh, again, going back to like, you know, a lot of people have a day job, I have a day job, and it's hard to really connect with other people that are really doing what they love. So it's really inspiring um, to have my friends that are doing full-time, whatever whatever their, their business is or their craft is and learning from them. And then also being able to equally inspire others that maybe are at the beginning of finding what their passion is and getting them to kind of know that there is, there is a future to following that. Um, it, it can come in many forms. Uh, and so having like a comfortable place for that. I also, I think the one thing about my home space that is not ideal is that I have a television, which I never watch. Um, but I think really designing a space around the things you want to be doing. So that's why we have like an extra table in the living room, which is the craft table and the bar cart and things and really thinking through what's going to allow you to use those, those things more as opposed to um, just putting things up and, and never really touching them. So. Yeah, that's really nice. I think I, I hear a lot of people complain about my Uber driver on the way here was complaining about the fact that he never watches his TV. I think what that says is something about simplicity and essentials. Mm -hmm. um, if I had to answer that question, for me, it would have something to do with getting back to first principles, which mm -hmm. is something that you were talking about when, when it comes to arts and crafts. Like, yeah, getting off the grid, turning off mm -hmm. the phone. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are complex things about craft. You cannot just walk up to a piece of paper and turn it into a paper flower if you've never done it before. So there's some complexity. You have to learn that. There's some complex things about cocktails. You got to learn how flavors go to you. You got to you got to learn what these ingredients are and how to mix them together in a way that's pleasing. Um, but the paradox is that the way to do that is through first principles. Is through like we've been doing today, just pouring something into a cup and tasting mm -hmm. it. That's a first principles approach to mm -hmm. things, and that's that's one of the things that I really enjoy about uh, cocktails. About working with people like you and, and companies like yours. And it's a, it's a really lovely paradox. Cocktails are complicated, but the way to that is through simplicity. And it's right. just, and just iteration. I think that's, that's the main thing that I've learned. Um, cause honestly, I was quite intimidated with, um, cocktails, you know, not, not that long ago and, um, learning more about the people that make cocktails and the science behind cocktails. And again, like I'm very much at the tip of an iceberg. And so it's really cool to be able to just casually test things and having space to be able to invite people over and do that. I think is really nice. Um, I've noticed a trend with a lot of my friends to like have people over for brunch instead of going out for brunch and all of and all, just like that movement of wanting to have people in your home. Cause really when it comes down to it, you just want to be around your friends and your family and, um, 
And then there's that other aspect of like, I still think going out and meeting people you don't know is really important. That's what we try to provide at our workshop where it's like a low key, trying to kind of recreate that living room experience, I guess, because we started in the living room and we want to continue to have that sense of being comfortable, like on an even level with everyone, because everybody's kind of coming in as a, as a newbie. Um, and like that, that principle of a beginner's mind really is, is what, what it helps practice. Right. Professional amateur, you yeah. know, like being a good amateur at something, being, you know, being willing to not be perfect at everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, th I think in terms of the inner person that we talked about, you know, what a good home is, what a good cocktail is, I think in terms of a good interpersonal interaction and certainly what I've experienced when we do the cocktails and crafts get togethers is, you know, what is the first principle? It is eye contact. Mm -hmm. It's being present. Those are the things that you are sort of creating a space for that we're programmed not to do. We're, we're we are designed right now not to make eye contact, not to not to have extended conversations with people because it wastes time mm -hmm. and it's uncomfortable to us for a number of reasons. And I love that you've created almost like this experimental place where you guilt people into showing up, not guilt because it's actually great, but you make them do that minimal commitment where they feel like they're losing money if they don't show up. But right. when they show up, really the feedback is that it was worth way more than what they paid for. Right. And, and I it, think that we, we try to be, and we're still fine tuning to like, you know, like every entrepreneur, but what our method is and definitely like the eye contact, the, like something as simple as introductions. I'm always surprised. I, I take a lot of workshops myself to see what's out there. I often come out where maybe I've made something, but nobody talked to me and nobody asked me what my name was or what moves me or any, anything. And so I just leave the same person and we don't, we don't ever want anybody to leave the same person. We want them to feel a connection with someone um, and, and a connection with themselves to a certain degree that they, they have something in them that they didn't really know was there. That's amazing. Um, I think at this point we've got, we've got a good handle on cocktails and craft and, and you can just tell listeners just by the way that Stephanie's talking about this, how passionate she is about it. And uh, it just, it, it's a one-to-one -one translation when it comes to going to one of these actual events. So if you're in the DC area, I hope that you do take the opportunity to sign up for one of these events. Um, and we'll, we'll give you at the end of this recording, all the different ways to do that as well as in the show notes. But I want to do a couple of quick lightning round questions before we get going yeah. here, uh, jumping right into it. What is your favorite cocktail? So my favorite cocktail right now is the Mezcal Negroni. I love Negronis so much. I think it's the like simplicity of basically one to one to one. Oh, the perfect ratio. Yeah. And I, I realized recently that I'm a boozy cocktail drinker um, because a lot, a lot of my favorite cocktails have the higher content of booze to anything else. Um, so yeah, Mezcal Negroni is my favorite. I used to be really into gin. I'm still into gin. Um, and I think my first growing up as a drinker I was really into gin and tonics before I knew like what a cocktail was. So I, that was like my, my go-to drink was gin and tonic. And then, you know, obviously I expanded my palate and knowing how, you know, being more into actual craft cocktails and everything. Favorite spirit. Uh, so I think that I am a scotch person. Really? That's a, that's but awesome. I haven't. So I, I would love, you know, you, you should give me a list of where I should go to check out some scotch. I, I think this means I need to go to Scotland. If anybody wants to sponsor me to go taste all this, the scotch in Scotland, I am down because I, every time I have a drink with scotch in it, I love it. 
but I've never, like, I don't even have a bottle of scotch at my bar because it's, that's like a, that gets really intimidating for me. And I think you mentioned it on a recent podcast. I just, I need to find a friend that's really into scotch and have them let me taste their scotch. So I know what I like, but, uh, the, do you ever go to the shepherd? Uh, I don't. You haven't, have you been to, where is it? Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm exposing a dirty little secret in DC. So I'm sorry, everyone that loves the shepherd, but it's going to blow up now. This is the, we call this the modern bar cart effect. <laughs> All 20 people who subscribe to this podcast are going to show up at the same time. Well, it's a problem because I've sent people there and they've told me that there's a wait and I'm, and I'm shocked because there shouldn't be a wait. It's a speakeasy in DuPont. Okay. Um, so you, it's right next to the Griffith. And so they often, when I tell them like, make me something that tastes like this, they'll often put scotch in it. So that's why I think that's my favorite spirit, even though I, I really know not much about it. But Mezcal is like a close second because it shares a lot of the same flavor profiles um, and it's more accessible to me for some reason. It's interesting. I usually Mezcal, usually people come to Mezcal by way of scotch. Um, I think just because scotch was more mainstream mm -hmm. and is just generally more available and weirdly a little bit more affordable right now. Because as you mentioned, mezcals are, you know, right. they can get up there. Right. Um, I, I love, um, I love that you're a scotch person because. With cocktails and craft, we, we have a blended audience depending on, you know, I guess gender, so to speak, but it does tend to skew more women, um, depending, it really depends on the craft, but it's, it's like a weird mission of mine to get more women to drink more different types of liquors and know how to make cocktails. I want, I want every woman to know how to make a cocktail because it's shocking. A lot of men also don't know how to make cocktails. Um, but I, I just, it's like a weird gendered thing right now. And I, I'm kind of sick of seeing male, like all male bartenders or all male mixologists or all, you know, um, and that's why I really love what Republic Restorative is doing. I mean, it's two women running a distillery and they have a beautiful bar. Um, and I think just seeing women behind the bar and seeing women behind the distillery vats and everything is, is really awesome. So. Yes. Shout out to P and Rachel. Uh, they're great, great distillery Republic restoratives here in DC. The second completely woman owned and operated, uh, distilling operation in the country. That's really great. Thanks. Thanks for talking about those spirits. That was a, that was an exceptional answer. And maybe we need to talk before I leave here about scotch because yeah. I've got some recommendations. I'm certainly not a scotch guru, but I've got some recommendations about where you can maybe start. So, um, my favorite question, if you could have a cocktail with anybody alive or maybe not alive, but from history, <laughs> uh, who would that person be? What cocktail would you drink? Where'd you drink it? Paint us a picture. So it would definitely be, um, a jazz singer, probably Etta James, and it would be an old fashioned. And we would go to Small's Jazz Club in New York, and we'd both be wearing gowns. And what color? Well, they'd be beaded, so probably a like silver and gold, but definitely beaded. That's my dream. I hope that that could happen someday. Yeah, that's uh, so old fashions. And what Small's? You said what's what's the deal with this particular joint? Smalls is a, um, kind of, it's an institution. It's a jazz, a jazz club. Um, I remember the first time I went, it's like, I made my mom come and it was like 20 bucks at the door and it was just so rushed and we were very confused, but it was one of the most amazing experiences. So that's my favorite place to go yeah. in New York. It's, it's, uh, it's tough because most of the time when you have that experience, it's not worth it. Well, exactly. So my mom's like, why are we paying 
you know, 20 bucks to get into this. What is this? And I'm like, well, it's going to be good because so-and-so recommended it. Um, and it was. Uh, so that's maybe the only place I'll pay a cover. <laughs> Fantastic. Any books that you would personally recommend for people who are getting into the home bartending game? So I have two that I reference pretty often. Um, one is the bar book. It's like an A to Z encyclopedia. Have you, have you looked at it? I haven't. I've, I've heard other guests have referenced it, I believe. Yeah. Um, but who's it? do you know who it's by? Um, and... I don't know who it's by offhand, but I'm pretty sure she's a woman because that's why I bought it. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, and I got it in Nashville, actually. It was my birthday present to myself last year because I'm always, you know, someone will say a cocktail and I'm like, what's in that? And you can Google, and I, I Google a lot when I'm out and about, but it's nice to have something at home. And also just for inspiration, I can kind of like, it's like, it's like the Bible game and it, where you like flip through and see like a passage. That's I do the cocktail book Bible game where I flip through nice. and see the cocktail. Um, and then Shape, which they have out here. Um, it's by uh, the, the creators of the Mason Shaker. So they have the brilliant idea to put a shaker that you can use on a mason jar, which is kind of silly, but also awesome. Um, I have it and I think I lost it, to be honest. I still have the jar, but I can't find my <laughs> shaker component. It's it's a little bit ironic that their brilliant invention was the thing that gets lost most often, which is the shape, the, the jar tops. Yeah. And, but it's really awesome. Like it's almost like I need a subscription to it um, and makes, makes cocktail making easy. And that's their whole thing is all the recipes are for two people um, and they're all seasonal. So I reference that a lot, actually, when I'm thinking about cocktails and craft workshops to see what what other things are are seasonal um i i also pull up like which fruits and vegetables are in season right now that a lot i have a little uh illustration of that to to look at so we can make sure we're featuring those types of things but. for sure yeah and i the mason shaker is a really great tool uh especially if uh you know again like if you want to if you have a bunch of mason jars and you don't want to buy an entire like cocktail set yeah just grab the mason shaker it's a really cool thing and the nice thing about it is that a lot of shakers right now are made of metal, but back in the day, vintage shakers were often glass. So you could see what was kind of going on oh, inside of interesting. them. Yeah. So the Mason shaker is kind of like almost like a throwback to that. So that's a great, and I'm really glad that they released a resource like that to help people, you know, use their, uh, use their product. I think that's kind of what we're trying to do here with the modern bar cart mm -hmm. podcast. Uh, I don't know if we're succeeding yet, but hopefully, you know, we've been getting a little bit of feedback trickling in. So, um, you know, folks, this might be a good time to mention if there's anything that you want to hear about on this podcast, then give me a yell podcast at modernbarcart.com and we'll see if we can cater our content to what you want to know. A uh, couple more quick questions. If you could give any piece of advice to someone who is just starting to learn about or experiment with cocktails or home bartending, what would that advice be? Uh, definitely the two one one ratio methodology. Um, I think once I learned that I was like, oh, I just need like two ounces of a liquor, one ounce sweet, one ounce bitter or sour basically, and or two to one to one. Um, and it gave me a lot more freedom in experimenting and also helped me feel like less intimidated about cocktails. Because I think when you look at a menu and there are all these ingredients or you think that things are so complicated and usually they're not that complicated, but it does take time knowing the flavor profiles or knowing what goes together. So, but that I think opened a lot, opened my eyes and what um, I could do. 
And I, I, I'm excited to get back into experimenting and really testing out different, different things, particularly focused on like, you know, Chacho as an example, focused on local specialty liquors or, or different things that um, have unique flavor profiles and what might pair well with those. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like uh, having a little guiding principle like that at two to one to one for me when I, I'm getting really into punches, especially since it's hot out. Punches were invented yeah. in India and the South Pacific when the British were first colonizing that area. Uh, so it's a great warm weather drink and you can make it in, in mass. And my ratio, my golden ratio with punch is four to two to one to one plus spice. Four, two, one, one. Okay. Four, two, one, one. The four is always the water or tea. I, I like to use green tea because it's not super, sometimes you can use black tea, but then that's mixing caffeine and alcohol, which sometimes gets a little funky, but right. usually like a green tea, uh, four parts, green tea, two parts, uh, liquor, one part acid, meaning lemon or lime, and then mm -hmm. one part, uh, simple syrup, like a, like a nice dark Demerara syrup. Mm -hmm. And then I, I put, for my spice, I put bitters because I have nice aromatic bitters on hand all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but you can also do just do like you top it off with like a ground nutmeg or cinnamon or something mm -hmm. like that. And that's that's your spice. But uh, so is that for one serving or or are you saying so you multiply that? So that's by... scalable. So you can okay. as long as you have that ratio. It's Four, same two, thing. One, as, one. Same yeah. thing as the two to one one. Yeah. As long as you have that ratio. So like if you're if you've got your mason shaker here and you're making drinks for you and your sister, maybe if she's over visiting. Then you got that two to one one. You just multiply that across the ounces that you're using. When I'm making punch, I'm making it for like six or ten people, right. and so I multiply that like usually across like an entire bottle. Like I'll get like an entire bottle of spirit, and then I'll make the corresponding amount of tea, the corresponding amount of simple syrup, and the corresponding amount of citrus. So it's nice to have that little guiding principle. And I think what that does is, again, just like cocktails and craft gives people like a safe setting to experiment. Mm -hmm. It's like yeah. I have this ratio. I know that pretty much whatever I put into this ratio is going to work. Right. And so that's why I like doing it. So yeah, that's, that's my recent discovery. We just kind of, uh, my friend just did a punch at, um, at a 4th of July party. And I was thinking about that there. Cause I was like, I, I wonder what the ratio, what the best ratio would be for this punch. Because it, you know, at a certain point, if you just start mixing things, it's not, it's not always going to turn out well. Um, so real, so that's really helpful to have a little bit of a parameter. Yeah. And especially when you're making, mixing that volume of something, exactly. you don't want the entire batch to be a stinker because then right. you either dump it or you're forced to suffer through a lot of, a lot of bad taste. But, uh, yeah, that's a really good piece of advice. And, uh, I think what we'll do is we'll maybe compile some of these and we'll do like, uh, we'll put together a guide of all these good little bits of advice and maybe we'll, you know, throw it on the website and give it to people for free in a PDF or something like that. Yeah. Stephanie, thank you for taking all this time to talk with us, share what you're doing, share your insights on Mezcal, on uh, bar carts and all this other stuff. How can people digitally connect with you uh, in a way that you can you know, get them information about cocktails and craft or just answer questions that they might have about cocktails and or crafts? So you can find us on Instagram at cocktails and craft. It's cocktails with an S. A-N-D craft. And then my email is stephanie at cocktailsandcraft.com. So definitely shoot us, shoot us an email. And then a uh, website is www.cocktailsandcraft.com. And there you can sign up for our email list, which is where you'll get um, a newsletter with different cocktail tips, craft tips, uh, links to great things like this podcast. And then also you'll be the first to get the invites for our workshops because they do sell out. 
And you can also sign up for our workshops on our website. I got to get on that list. Um, I will do that as soon as I get home tonight. But uh, any quick before we go, any sneak peeks of things that you might be doing in the near future so people can get a taste of what they might be signing up for? So we will, um, the launching our beta chapters network is going to be really awesome. So if you aren't in Washington, D.C., that doesn't mean you can't experience cocktails and craft. Definitely let us know if you're interested. And um, we'll also be releasing a guide to where to get a great cocktail and where to make some awesome crafts. Um, so we're partnering, partnering with a local artist and that should be coming out in the next few months. Um, and we'll also be doing a special workshop series at WeWork at the Apollo on H Street. So that will be really fun and partnering with a bunch of different cool people. And so that will be another way that you can experience our workshops. Amazing. That's a really awesome space on H Street. If you are in DC and listening to this, you should definitely check it out. Stephanie, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I just want to remind you that this episode might be over, but the journey and the discussion are just beginning. If you're excited about the content in this or any other episode, please tell us. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Bar Cart for recipes and great product tips, or stalk me personally at Quixologist. That's Q-U-I-X-ologist. You can also like us on Facebook by searching Modern Bar Cart, or hit us up directly via email by sending a note to podcast at modernbarcart.com. That email address, by the way, is also the one that you should use if you've got any cocktail or home bartending related questions you'd like us to address, or if you think you have a unique perspective on the cocktail world and would like to be interviewed for all to hear. I'll see you next time, but until then, drink responsibly and experiment boldly.